Okay, so our first message for today is going to be brought to us by Mr. Mark McGarvey, and it's entitled John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Good afternoon, everyone. Beautiful day it is today. We've got some relief from the severe Oklahoma heat. Glad it's not 106 out there today. So as you can see by my title, uh, John 3, uh, verses 1 through 16, John chapter 3, verse 16 is arguably the most well-known scripture from the Bible, um, mentioned by politicians, talked about, uh, in the sports world, and uh, of course books and, and whole lines of theology about it have been written. We all know what it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But today I want to look at John chapter 3 verses 1 through 16 which or not so much focus on verse 16 itself, um, but the previous 15 verses. Um, it gives us a look at the pretext of John 3, 16 itself. What is said and what does it mean? So according to chapter 2 of John, um, Jesus is in Jerusalem with his disciples. Passover has just happened. And because every male Jew was required to go to Jerusalem three times a year for uh, Passover, Pentecost, and these tabernacles. It makes sense that they were there, him and both his disciples, and his disciples too. So let's begin reading here in John chapter 3 and verse 1. John 3 verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The phrase ruler of the Jews indicates that Nicodemus was a member of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, who ma a man who had some political power both in Jerusalem and around the temple itself. Let's read verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, there's three things that stand out in this verse that I notice, I'd like to talk about. Um, first of all, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He doesn't want to be seen by his fellow members of the council or anybody who would recognize him or know him. He wants to go there in secret to see Jesus because Jesus has made a name for himself, as it were. Not a good name, and he's not in the good books of the scribes and Pharisees and the Sadducees. So that's the first thing that stands out to me is, is Nicodemus comes to find him at night. The second thing is um, he calls him rabbi because he knows and understands what Jesus talks about, what he has said, that he has incredible intellect, that he is an incredible following too and has understanding that Nicodemus finds unbelievable. And the, and the last thing, the third thing, which stands out in this particular verse, 
for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's quite a claim right there for Nicodemus himself. So he is becoming, the reason he's here to talk to Jesus is, is to talk to him one-to-one, get an understanding where he's going, what he's doing, what he's saying. But for him to say that, he's already beginning to understand or have a, an inkling of what Jesus is here to do. So continuing in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The Greek word for again is anothen. Anothen is the Greek word. And it can mean either from above or anew. So born from above, born anew. We must be born again, become anew. Only God's Holy Spirit can do that. When that old man is buried, as it were, um, we are born anew, born again, the Spirit that helps us to understand these very things. God's Holy Spirit enters us, enters us, and we can begin our new life as Christ's followers, as believers in Him, and that He was sent by the Father. So it's very interesting that the original Greek was translated, or the, the word that was used, anathin, was born from above, born anew. Now, to tie this in, I want to look at another scripture here. Titus 3, verses 4 through 8. Titus chapter 3, and verses 4 through 8. Titus 3, and verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want, to affirm, I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So the washing of regeneration is like a cleansing. We are being cleansed. By God's grace, he calls us. We can be born again, born anew. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and helps us to be true and faithful servants for Christ to imitate him, to become like him. And I also like the way here in verse 8, Paul tells Titus, this is a good and faithful saying. He throws that in there too, because he believes in what he's just said. And he says, Titus, listen to me. You know, keep doing the good work, spreading the gospel to the world. It's a good and faithful saying. I think that ties in with John 3 and verse, uh, verse 3. So going back to John, John 3 once again. I'm going to go back to John 3 and continue here in, uh, in verse 4. John 3, verse 4. Nicodemus said to Jesus, said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter 
a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus is confused here initially. This is illogical. What are you saying? You know, Jesus continues in verse 5. Well, this is what I'm saying. He said, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, I, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So here in verse 7, um, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. In the original Greek, you is plural. So what Jesus is doing here is he's speaking not only to Nicodemus, but to all whom he represents. You like the Irish saying, use, use, you know. But he's speaking not just to Nicodemus, but to everyone he represents and where he's come from. And then in, in, verse, uh, in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You know, there's only one who has ever gone from spirit to flesh and flesh to spirit, and that's Christ Jesus himself. But we cannot, not in this life. Um, we have been endowed with the Holy Spirit now, here while we await Christ's second coming. And then we can go from flesh to spirit. Only then, in the physical sense, and become spirit beings. But here in verse 9, let's continue here in verse 9, where Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? So Nicodemus had never heard anything like this before in the Jewish faith. What Christ was saying was new and different. And that's part of the reason why Nicodemus is here. You know, Jesus had such a following. He'd heard so much about him. He had to come talk to him. And what he's saying right here, what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus right now, is in some ways confusing him, although he's starting to understand. But how can these things be? So Jesus, you know, he was seen as a radical, a revolutionary, and in some ways he was. But what he was trying to say to Nicodemus is he was the son of God. I am the son of God, Nicodemus. And this is what you need to do to inherit the kingdom of God, to obtain eternal life. So continuing here, in verse 10, after Nicodemus had asked him, how can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? So here Jesus is rebuking Nicodemus for being a Hebrew teacher and not knowing about the Old Testament scriptures that mention a type of spiritual birth. You don't have to turn here right now, but there are a couple of scriptures that come to mind. Isaiah 44, 3, and Ezekiel 36, 26, 27, where, especially in Ezekiel, where God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. So verse 11, verses 11 through 15 most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus continues, 
We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So first of all here, that's Jesus saying it himself. No one has ascended to heaven except him, except the Son of God. Nobody goes to heaven when they die. Jesus said it right there. Nobody has come from heaven or goes to heaven but the Son of Man. But here in verse 14, I find an interesting statement what Jesus says. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, usually when the phrase lifted up is used by John and others, it's referring to Christ's death. But also, by Jesus saying this one particular statement, it ties in to the time in the wilderness when Moses was asked by God, build that stick. Numbers 21 and verse 9. Let's look at that real quick. Look at Numbers chapter 21 and verse 9. Just one verse. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So if anyone had been bitten by a poisonous snake, Whenever they looked at that snake, they wouldn't die. Very interesting statement that Jesus brought that into this conversation. So, by telling Nicodemus, when you look at me, you'll have eternal life in the same stroke. Those of us who look at Jesus, those of us who believe he is the Son of God, we will live Although we've never actually physically seen Jesus, we see his words right here, each and every time we open the Bible. We see his actions that he did right here at this time. And today we can see his character in all of us here. And one may continue. Living as, you know, we show that Christian love for one another as brothers and sisters. So, through him, we will not perish. We will have eternal life. Just like when those who were bitten by the snake would look at the pole that Moses had erected, they wouldn't die. They would live. When we look to Christ, when we look to Jesus, we will not perish either. We will have eternal life. So, and, and verse 16, once again here, verse 16 of John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So I'm going to read a little, little paragraph here from uh, New King James Study Bible on verse 16 itself. Just a small little bit here. Quote, God so loved the world. God's love is not restricted to any one nation or to any spiritual elite. World here may also include all of creation. 
Now, like I said before, like I said earlier, there are books written about John 3.16 itself. There are lines of theology you can, you can go and look up. It's a very, very talked about uh, scripture in the Bible. So, um, there's a line in, in a song I heard it yesterday um, by uh, Plum, Exhale. The song is called Exhale, where she says, quote, there's nobody unwelcome in his arms. Love that line in the song. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, his grace conquers all, and his sacrifice allows all to come to him and be forgiven. There's been many murderers and killers in the past that have changed their life and given their life to Christ, or, you know, albeit in prison or whatever. It is possible. Anything you've ever done, come to Jesus, give yourself to him, Repent and believe in him that he is the son of God. Now, I've, I've got an analogy here I've been thinking about here. It's very, very simple, but I think it's relevant to what all we've been talking about here. I call it, I call it the concrete arms analogy. Now, you know how in, in movies um, there'll be a, a dramatic scene, for example, like in, uh, I think it's Indiana Jones, Alaska, say, where someone has fallen off a cliff or down into a crevice or whatever, and here the hero comes to rescue him and pull him back up. Now, what I'm saying is Jesus' arms are like concrete. They will not move. They will not shake. They will not waver. He's not going to be there grabbing your fingers and, oh, come on now. No, he, he, won't, he won't move. He won't be shaken at all. And his grip is solid like concrete. He will not let go of you at all. Not going to happen. He will never let go of you. The only one who lets go, if anyone, is us. And that's by our own choosing. Hopefully that won't happen, but he's not letting go. Once he has a hold of you in his grip, you are his. So, this meeting that Nicodemus had with Jesus helped Nicodemus' own development in becoming a believer in Christ, along with uh, Joseph Arimathea, who, um, after Christ's death, Joseph Arimathea being a wealthy man, and Nicodemus may have been a wealthy man too, doesn't specifically say that about Nicodemus, um, but Joseph of Arimathea gave his tomb uh, for Jesus. Because had it not been for that, he may have, Jesus may have been cast down into the heap of the other bodies that died on the cross or died uh, up there in Calvary. So, um, you know, it's interesting that from this, this meeting with Jesus, he had one-on-one, came to Christ by night, didn't want to be seen, but gained a tremendous amount of understanding right there. And Jesus said all that both to Nicodemus and for us today and for history and for the world. Some incredible statements by him, and tremendous and beautiful language, which I always go back to John because I've, I've always preferred the language in the book of John, beautiful, and gives some extra insight into Christ's words that we don't get from, from the other synoptic gospels. But like Nicodemus, um, after Christ had died, um, Nicodemus gave a hundred pounds in spices. Um, I 
can't remember exactly what kind of spices. There's aloe, some other things to cover the body in spices, but 100 pounds, that's a lot of spices. But that, that was the, a common uh, burial custom at the time. And that was his final little uh, uh, gift there, as it were, to, to Jesus' family. So, but I hope uh, just reading these previous 15 verses of John chapter 3 gives us a little insight into what happened here, this one conversation Christ had with Nicodemus, uh, leading up to one of the most popular verses in the world, in the Bible. But we are blessed, and we can thank God that he called us. He gave us a chance, and what we have to do is believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was sent by the Father, and one day, hopefully soon, he will return.